Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to the current Man on the Post uh, European Football Podcast with me, your host, James Rowe, and my partner in crime, which everybody knows by now, Scott Munro. Scott, good evening. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, not too bad. A little bit tired. It's been on a long couple of days, but ready to talk some European football. Indeed. We like to cast a net wide, as many listeners know. And tonight we are going to start with one of the biggest clubs in Turkey, suffering what can only be called as a massive crisis, with Fenerbahce sitting only one point off the relegation zone, having recently sacked their manager in Philip Koku, and uh, they have caretaker manager Erwin Koeman in charge. I really don't know how long that's going to last. But um, yeah, for such a huge club to be in, in such a mire is, uh, is very, very strange, and we thought it would be a great talking point tonight. So what's your current take on Fenerbahce, Scott? It's it's a bit of a mess. I was doing doing a bit of research. I binned off the most of the Udinese Milan game last night and done a, a bit of research on it. So um, it's it's a massive club who this season pretty much struggled with Philip Koku in charge. I remember me and you were talking off pod a couple of weeks ago about him leaving PSV, where he had a very good job going and he could win titles, but then he threw it all away to go to Turkey for the money and realising if he stayed at PSV, look where they are now and look where he is now. So it's gone a bit it's gone a bit pear shaped. The last five games They've only picked up three points uh, out of the 15, which are all draws. The last win in the league came on the 16th against Konyaspor, which is a a 1-0 away win, thanks to a goal from the Macedonian. If I pronounce this right, I apologise. Eljif Elmash? And then Kaku was sacked um, not this weekend going, the previous weekend on the Sunday, after a 3-1 home defeat to Ankaku which left them in dire straits and list them, I think they were like on nine points after 10 games. But at the weekend, I say at the weekend on Friday night, they played um, Galatasaray in the Istanbul derby. Um, before I go into the game, um, I read on Friday that um, a Fenerbahce fan died before the game. So <laughs> the thoughts go out to his family and to the club. You never want to go to a game of football and then... Not come you, home. One of your own not come home, which is yeah. which is a sad story. But um, on the game, um, it was a good fight back from Fenerbahce. I've only seen the win, uh, not the winner, the equaliser from Jai Olsen, which is a, a fantastic goal. But um, the scenes after the game was quite frantic, where it's it safe to say it kicked off big time. Mm. Well, those games are very much um, um, very emotional, and the whole city lives for them. 
And as you can see, it can sometimes get out of hand, and I echo the sentiments of the Fenerbahce supporter. Obviously, knowing about Philip Koku, and I'll start with him. Uh, Scott, he went from uh, five-year stability with a very promising future in front of him, regarding he made the right choice, providing he made the right, made the right choice, to taking on his next job and lasting only, only 123 days. It's not good. Not he, very good at he, all. he took a Dutch assistant in Chris van Vieren with him to Istanbul and there were rumblings about the backroom staff in Turkey uh, at Fenerbahce in a somewhat coup. But I often um, give the example of Chris Hiddink when he was in charge of the Turkish national team. He went into that role with his eyes wide open and sought advice and sought um, information from all parts of uh, Turkish football in order to get him acclimatised with the job. OK, they didn't qualify for a major tournament. They were eliminated um, by Croatia, I believe, in the playoffs. But the, but the fact remains is that he he went out went about his business to try and succeed the best he could. I think having watched Kuman's, uh, sorry, Koku's unveiling and being very bitty in English and, and being a little bit unaware of what was coming, especially in that environment, um, he's only really got his, his self to blame. I mean, there before he, when he was at PSV, winning three Eredivisie titles and, and making inroads in Europe, giving Atletico a scare in the last sixteen of the Champions League. Lots of people t- thought that he was um, he, he would go into Germany. I can understand why he went to Fenerbahce because it's such a mammoth club, and it, I, I think he thought maybe after five years things were getting a bit stale. But I can see him taking a huge sabbatical now. And being extremely choosy as to where he goes next, because this has really got to hurt his um, hurt his pride. Another Dutchman is in the caretaker role, Erwin Koeman, who's the brother of Ronald Koeman. Uh, Erwin Koeman has in the past managed the likes of Feyenoord and the Hungarian national team. His last proper post was taking Ekose Valvek down from the Eredivisie to what was then the UPL League, and that and that really hurt Ekase Valvek. Yes, they had a good result in last week, knocking PSV out of the cup, but they have, since then they've never really recovered. And um yeah, I think it's a, a caretaker role. I think that um I think Fenerbahce would be wise to employ a, a Turkish manager. Uh, I looked at their history when you look at the managers they've they've had in the past, like Kojiman he was a was a Turkish uh, native who, who knew the club. I think he also played for the club as well. And he managed to get success. Yes, there have been, um, for example, Christoph Daum, I believe the German um, manager also won the league title. But you've really got to embrace the the environment and, and just be aware of what's going on. And um, I think in the case of Koku, I think he very much underestimated that. And um, my experience of seeing Fenerbahce live, they, they drew Ajax in the Europa League, I believe in 2016, I think it was. And uh, it might have been 2015, actually. And I went to the home match in Amsterdam, which was a nil-nil draw. Robin van Persie was playing for um, was playing for Fenerbahce at the time. He didn't get the best reception, being a Rotterdam native. And um, I just remembered the whole of Amsterdam being jam-packed with Fenerbahce fans from about two o'clock onwards. Wow! It was they were everywhere. They wasn't just in the city centre. I was working. Um, obviously, I work in in the south of the city. 
and um, I remember coming out of my work to go to my home to get ready to go to the match. Now I've come out of the, I've come out of um, get um, got got to the local um, local um, metro stop, and it's absolutely jam packed with Fender Baxter fans. And they're not, and they're not all, uh, they're not all quiet. They're all uh, making noise in the metro. They're all making sure they're wearing their colours. But it's just a, it's a mammoth, mammoth club, you know, to win. Um, to win 19 Turkish League titles and to have made inroads in the um, in the uh, Champions League and the Europa League in recent years, you know, there's there's definitely something about them, and uh, I hope that they can um, can fix their problems very quickly. Yeah, you don't want to see a, a big club like of that stature struggling. No. Um, you just have to think that all of this is, might fall on Koku's head. And as you said, he didn't embrace the not I would say the culture of the club by because he brought in his own staff yeah. and not speakers, not learning the language. Maybe he could have had a couple Turkish speakers in his backroom staff, which would help the club, actually help the players along. But yeah, you just feel this downfall is pretty much on him. Yeah, well, I, as I say, I watched his unveiling and he looked a little bit startled. He looked, you know, yes, he had a fine career playing for Barcelona and playing for uh, PSV. But, you know, I think... It, he looked a little bit startled in the fact of, am I really here? And I, I, I maintain, Scott, that yes, after five years, things weren't necessarily getting stale at PSV, but he was heavily criticised in his um, in his last year for the lack of attacking prowess and the lack of, of attacking intent. I just feel he's gone looking for the, um, for the new challenge without really... Thinking about it. Thinking about it. I think he's just gone for the sake of going, you know, just to yeah. just to stay in in, jo- in in a job and be interesting to see where he goes now. I think um I think he'll t- be taking a huge sabbatical and uh, be interesting to see if he can be tempted by any of the jobs back in the Netherlands because he mustn't I don't think if one of them was to come up, I don't think he should turn that down. I mean, the, the latest rumours here here in uh, the Netherlands is although that FC Utrecht are doing very well with Dick Advocat, they're now fifth. They've gone from 16th to fifth in a, in a, in a matter of weeks. The rumours are that Utrecht are looking at um, Peter Bosch, who used to manage Dortmund and uh, Ajax. But also as well, I can understand the ambition of certain Eredivisie clubs, but also I think the managers having tasted the bright lights of Champions League football and uh, and bigger leagues, uh, you wonder if they'll be willing to return to the Eredivisie in that respect. Mm. Also, you've got to think that it has to be the right fit and the yeah. right stature for the club and for the coach in question. Yeah, I think I think he's just got to think very long and hard, mm. and uh, be interesting to see uh, be interesting to see what will happen. We are now going to move on to our second subject, which um, is uh, a very interesting subject in terms of a World Cup winner. A World Cup winner back in this summer is now looking at a potential relegation fight in Benjamin Pavard. Ben- Benjamin Pavard is currently playing for Stuttgart and they have only won one of their 10 Bundesliga matches so far and they're currently in the relegation zone. So I can imagine... Uh, he and he had an absolutely stellar tournament, an absolutely stellar tournament. He was the real find, and he um I can imagine with uh, Pogba and Griezmann and Mbappe, and then a couple of months later you're dragged into a relegation scrap, and uh, be interesting to see if Stuttgart can get out of this because it was only eleven years ago they were champions of the Bundesliga, and um and yes they've been very inconsistent 
since then, but I think this is going to be a long old slog for them. What, what do you think, Scott? Uh, I think as of now, uh, you normally judge a side ten games in, and then they've only picked up what one win, and yeah. then on the which was against Werder Bremen in the last weekend in September, which they won two one. Um, their last four games, they've lost all of them. Um, they've conceded four goals, which included back to back four nil defeats away at Hoffenheim and the week before at BVB Borussia Dortmund. Uh, this weekend they lost. Home to Eintracht Frankfurt, who are on a bit of a form at the moment with uh, Haller and Jovic, mm. Luka Jovic up top, who scored five the other week. Um, it doesn't help when you sack your coach half halfway through the campaign. Uh, Typhoon Corkhook got relieved of his duties in early October, and um, ex Schalke and Augsburg coach uh, Marcus Marcus Weinzel was taken over. And then, as as I said earlier, in his four games in charge, they've lost all four, and it's not looking good. They've, they've scored six goals in ten games and conceded twenty four. Yeah, madness, isn't it? They're, they have they have a, a goal difference of only after ten games of only of minus eighteen. Eighteen, yeah. I looked at that yesterday, and madness. it doesn't look good. They've got, um, as I said yesterday, saw yesterday, they've, their next two games are uh, wet Freiburg and wet Leverkusen. If, which, if my memory serves me right, Leverkusen have had a great start to the season. And Freiburg are a team who can like shock you because a couple of weeks ago they beat Borussia Mönchengladbach. After Gladbach were started the season quite strongly and defeated Bayern Munich in Munich. But yeah, on the subject of Stuttgart, it's going to be a long slog, and I can see them being relegated because they've had a woeful start to the season, and it's not going to look good when you're going into Christmas and on the run that they've got it's you're looking down and you're looking at the Bundesliga too well I mean you mentioned the, the games their next match is actually away to Nuremberg Nuremberg not Freiburg um, sorry but, yeah. my apologies no, well these things happen we try to be as accurate <laughs> as possible and we try to correct when we can that sort of sets us apart um, you mentioned the manager Marcus Weinzer uh, and yes. he was once tipped as the next big thing he was. When he he was. Yeah, 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 he was tipped as the next big thing. As if uh, I remember the um, the uh, German uh, football journalist Rafa Honigstein, who is absolutely world class, um, and he's uh, a solid fountain of information of all things German football. But I remember just listening to him on the, uh, I think it was Football Weekly back then, who, um, who and he tipped uh, him to go on to great things. But um, I know that his Augsburg side uh, played in Europe. Yes, they and, played Liverpool. And they, uh, they made some inroads. I interviewed when he was in charge. No, not when he was in charge, but obviously Jeffrey Khawaleu, who, um, who has a past here in the Netherlands with Hill and Bain. And um, and I said I recently I interviewed him last October, and uh, we spoke about Augsburg and the club, and he said about you know it's a it's a real peaceful club both on and off the pitch, and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how how long the manager will last because you said you know back to back four 0 defeats can be very difficult, and you know where do they go from there in terms of uh, trying to get things up and running as you say it's a very very strong league I mean if you look at the top six you've got Dortmund first Gladbach second uh, Bayern Munich third and then if you look just hovering above the relegation zone you've got Schalke by Leverkusen yeah. and Mainz Schalke who lost I think they lost their first four or five games if memory serves me right so in the last five games they picked up te- they've 
picked up 10 points. But yeah, you expect sides who are strong contenders for Europe to be higher league, higher up in the league. I was listening to, I listened to the Gagan Present podcast on the Football Grab po- uh, Network and um, one of the guys, Manu Veth, tipped by Leverkusen to do well and maybe challenge for the title. Mm. And I think, I think that's gone a bit south at the moment. Yeah, no, and Bayer Leverkusen currently have 11 points after 10 games. And um, I think they'll make inroads in Europe. Uh, in Europe, now I can see them yeah. getting through the, getting through their group. But uh, for Stuttgart, it just goes to show how quickly things can change. I mean, there was eleven yeah. years ago, they were on top of the Bundesliga. I remember Thomas Hitz- Thomas Hitzelsberger played for them, and um, I think he was their captain. Yeah, and they looked really, really good. And when I look at their current squads, obviously Benjamin Pavard, World Cup winner. Emiliano Insua, I think he had, an, he had a past with Liverpool, and uh, Gonzalo Castro as well. I think he was previously at Leverkusen, I think. And, um, Hol- and Hol- Dortmund. Oh, Dortmund. Oh, I always thought he was at Leverkusen. Uh, I think he was at both. Yeah. I remember him at Dortmund under Tuchel and maybe under Klopp. Yeah, and Holger Badstuber as well, who was once yeah. tipped for huge things at, uh, at, um, at Bayern Munich. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get out of it. It's a long old slog, but uh, we shall just have to wait and see. Yeah, they've got the... I think in January the, the prodigal son returned in Mario Gomez, yeah. um, who won the league with them in 2007 with um, Sami Khedira. I remember him and Sami Khedira yeah. lofting the title up at the Mercedes Benz. I think it was called the Mercedes Benz Arena back then. Um, yeah, back in 2007, and has um, gone to better things and like Gomez is like a, a massive slog in a relegation battle I've just looked at their next six games and they've, they're away at Bayer Leverkusen uh, sorry seven away, away at Nuremberg away at Bayer Leverkusen home to Augsburg home, away to Borussia Mönchengladbach home to Hertha Berlin away to Wolfsburg and then home to Schalke yeah, a bit, a very, very tricky. Can you see them picking up any points before uh, the break? Not, not really. I think a lot of it's going to depend on who they might choose as a successor to their current manager. And you mentioned the Mercedes-Benz Arena. That's a, a, a capacity of 60,000 people. Mm. And obviously, if they were to get relegated, you've got the, um, the ha- um, Hamburg Stadium. And you've got... Uh, the, obviously, that's a huge stadium. And... Um, Obviously, in uh, in Stuttgart's case, you know it could be another huge stadium um, uh, being uh, being uh, hosting second uh, Bundesliga matches in the future. And who knows? Yeah, who knows? It could be. It's it's gonna be a long slog, and you're gonna have to tell by the winter break. And the good thing about the winter break in in Germany, it's mostly a month. Yeah. They won't return until the middle of January. Yeah. Possibly towards the end, I actually think. Yeah, toward middle towards the end of January, they go on training camps away to luxurious countries, or if or if you're in a, in a bit of a slog, maybe Austria and Switzerland nearby. Um, if if they haven't picked up a point by then, they might they might have to change their coach, and that's normally the best time to do it during a break. And then you can get the the coach that is coming in, working on the squad, working on tactics, drilling the players on how he wants to build his team, and then hopefully get the the players he wants to bring in. 
Yeah, I will be very interested to see who Stuttgart identifies as a potential successor. Uh, should they decide to um, uh, should they uh, decide to replace their manager? It will be very interesting indeed. Our final subject for this week, Scott, is a Spanish side which has a lot of European pe- European pedigree. Has won many Europa leagues in the re- in recent years, and are currently sitting second in the Liga after eleven games, uh, only four points behind Barcelona, and that is Sevilla. And uh, I think it's a little bit of a surprise that after 11 matches in La Liga, I don't think many people at the start of the season would have put Sevilla in second, having only lost three of 11 games, winning six and winning four of their last six matches. What's your take on the, what the goings on at Sevilla at this moment in time? Yeah, couldn't agree more. They've built a very good squad at the moment. And um, their coach is Pablo Machin. Mm-hmm. Um, I who has come in and he's built a very good team at the moment and has built a side wanting to play an exciting brand of football. They play this a hybrid of a 3-5-2, which can go into a 3-4-3. What I like about this, they brought in Quincy Promis from Spartak Moscow yeah. on deadline day. And um, Spartak haven't really replaced him. Um, Pablo Machin had um, great success at Girona. Yep. Which is uh, Pep Guardiola's brother's side, and they've got links to Manchester City. And I always make the joke of the song "My Sharona to My Girona." <laughs> it's an awful, it's an awful joke, and I, I deserve the, the stick I get. But he's he's come on leaps and bounds with the four years he's had at Girona, got them into La Liga, and then he's he's kicked on this season in Seville. Um, I like the uh, the transfers he's got. He's got Andre Silva, who struggled quite a lot in Italy last season where AC Milan he didn't really get a chance but he, he played well in Europe but not in Serie A his first goal in Italy came against Genoa which I think came in March or February which is late on in the season but Silva's kicked on uh, he scored a hat-trick on his debut against Rayo Vallecano but I love the front three um, you got Franco Vasquez, Paolo, Pablo Sanabria, Andre Silva, sorry, the front four, and Wissam Banyeda. And you've got Luis Muriel on the bench, who is explosive. And you've got a midfielder in Eva Benego, who's reborn after his um, his time in Italy with Inter. And he went back to Seville. And also you've got Jesus Navas on right. Oh, he's playing right wing back. Mm. And remember when he was at Manchester City, he was playing right wing. But I like what he's doing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, they went to New Camp. They lost 4-2. But if it wasn't for Marc-Antoine to Stegen, mm. it really could have been a different story. He made some unbelievable saves and he, he proved why he's one of the best goalkeepers in Europe at the moment. Well, when I look at Sevilla's squad, Scott, there's quality all over the shop. I mean, you've got, oh, yeah. you've got Simon Kier, the uh, Danish uh, captain, Roque Mesa, although he had a very difficult time at uh, Swansea, has got an awful lot of quality. With Sam Ben Yedda, the Frenchman, who's extremely mobile and uh, has got such great movement. And as you say, Luis Muriel, you know, he can be so explosive. And Maxim Gonalons, who's on loan from Roma at the moment. And this appears, to, uh, might be a bit premature, but this could well be the... Um, the second coming of Sevilla in recent years, obviously Unai Emery, current Arsenal manager, has uh, um, got Sevilla up to a very high European standard. But I think it's great for them to break into the to the top four, to be second at this moment in time. 
and um, be very interesting to see how they will um, how well they will progress. I can see them making inroads in Europe as well. Yeah, they've got um, a, a group of standard the age, Krasnodar and Akishaya, which I, to be honest, I've never even heard of them, and I apologise. They're from Turkey, I believe. Turkey. They won. Ah, they won the Turkish Cup last year, I believe. Ah, okay. At the, at the expense of Fenerbahce, if my memory serves me <laughs> rightly. Brilliant, as we were talking about them earlier. Indeed. But yeah, very, very impressive squad. And as you say, with the work he did at uh, Shirona, and um, to get them up, I think they got promoted for the first time in their history and, the, and went on to play top flight football for the first time in, I think it was 87 years or something. Yeah, and they... they I've, Finished mid-table last season. Yeah, had a very good season. We're very unlucky not to qualify for Europe in all... Um, the, latter stage, yeah. the latter stages of the season, well, they played well. Um, they managed to beat Real Madrid at home last season 2-1. I managed mm. to catch the end of the game when it was on Sky Sports. La Liga is no longer on Sky Sports in the UK. It's on a, a digital platform, um, which is quite easy to watch. But yeah, um, Machine is doing wonders at Seville I'm just looking at their fixtures um, that, uh, they've got Espanyol at home next week and then after the international break they're against Real Valladolid which is a, an almost top of the table clash because Valladolid under the new ownership of Ronaldo mm. who's got 51% of uh, the rights to the club uh, they're at home then. and then they're, they're away at standard age in the Europa League yeah, standard Liège. I think they'll have too much for standard Liège, but standard Liège at home in their stadium can be a bit of a one-off. Um, I know that Sevilla drew 0-0 in San Sebastian yesterday away to Real Sociedad, but it's also a, a notorious difficult place to go. And um, I think they did well to pick up a point yesterday in all circumstances. Uh, if anyone sees this ex-Everton striker, Sandro had a bit of a howler he's through one-on-one he now plays for Real Sociedad uh, he was through one-on-one against the the severe keeper and kicked the ground instead of the ball and did a complete air shot if anyone gets to see this it's been floating around on social media for the last 24 hours and it's quite funny to watch well, but also, I think with the case of uh, you know a difficult time for Sandro Everton, and then you go on to play for one of the most historic clubs and well-known clubs in Spain, I think it turned out all right for him. Yeah, yeah, but it just uh, at that moment, it wasn't the greatest moment for him. I can imagine, Scott. We are now going to pass on to our listeners our Twitter feeds because obviously me, me I've forgotten in recent weeks. I don't know why, so I'm trying to make a deliberate a deliberate ploy not to forget. So, Scott, would you like to tell the listeners what your Twitter feed uh, Twitter feed is, please? It is at Scott underscore Munro. Okay, great stuff. And you listeners can also follow me on at James Rowe NL. We would like to pass you in the direction of the Man on the Post uh, podcast network where we have the likes of Man on the Post Extra Time and Unusual Efforts. Also, our podcast is here and we encourage you to not just listen to us but listen to others as well. And uh, we'd like to thank you once again for listening, uh, listeners, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. And always remember to keep your man on the post. Ciao. Adios.